Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. How many times have we seen sports stars leave the team that they've played for through free agency for another team with bigger pockets? They will say that it is the best thing for their families or for them. And they will often say something like this. It's not about the money. (laughs) Well, when someone tells you that it's not about the money, it's about the money. From a series of of articles from the Daily Wire, they report that America is so over it. A majority of Americans say they are not worried about experiencing the symptoms of COVID-19, according to a new poll. Quote, taking into consideration both your risk of contracting it and the seriousness of the illness, how worried are you personally about experiencing COVID-19? This was the question that was asked by YouGov and The Economist. Some 57% said they are not worried, with 30% saying that they are not too worried, and 27% saying they're not worried at all. Now, there is a flip side. 43% said they're worried, with 23% saying somewhat, and, and, and just only 15% saying very worried about the symptoms of COVID-19. Now, on masks, the poll asked respondents if they wore one outside their home in the previous week. More than a third, 39%, said they never wear masks, while a quarter said that they do some of the time. And of course, on the flip side, 35% said they wear masks, with 19 saying always, and 16% saying most of the time. And 53%, get this, 53% said the worst part of the pandemic is behind us. Just 15% said the pandemic is getting or going to get worse. The survey was of 1,500 American adults, and it was taken between May 8th and 10th. And the poll findings come after President Joe Biden recently marked a grim milestone as the United States passed 1 million deaths of Americans who had contracted COVID-19. The Biden administration warned that the U.S. could see as many as 100 million COVID-19 infections this fall and winter. Yes, that's what I said. Well, the the projection of 100 million potential infections is an estimate based on a range of outside models that are currently closely tracked by the administration and could include both the fall and the winter. And this was from a senior administration official who told CNN uh, that also... Officials say that uh, that this estimate is based on an underlying assumption of no additional resources or extra mitigation measures being taken, including new COVID-19 funding from Congress, of course, (laughs) or dramatic new variants. Oh, man. So just when you thought that it was over, out comes the World Health Organization to say, not so fast. The COVID-19 pandemic is most certainly not over. <laughs> this, this is Tedros uh, Gebersis, is I believe how you pronounce his last name. He's the head of the World Health Organization, or WHO, and he said this on Monday. Although deaths from the current variant of COVID-19 known as Omicron have dropped precipitously, the WHO had said we lower our guard at our peril. And this is according to the United Nations. Quote, so is COVID-19 over? 
No, it's most certainly not over. I know that's not the message you want to hear, and it's definitely not the message I want to deliver, he said. <laughs> oh, man. Gebriasis, uh, he, he told officials gathered at the Geneva um, little meeting that they're having. Uh, it's it's the, the, the opening of the WHO's annual meeting. That uh, that declining testing and sequencing uh, uh, sequencing means we are blinding ourselves to the evolution of the virus. Unquote. Now, in addition, he said that while billions are vaccinated against the virus, nearly one million people in lower income countries are still not vaccinated. While some sixty percent of the world's population is vaccinated, he said, it's not over anywhere until it's over everywhere. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear what he said there? So in other words, this will not be over until COVID is completely gone. That's what he said. Now, Gebriasis, he mentioned that that reported cases are increasing uh, in almost 70 countries in all regions. And this is what the UN reported. Quote, and this in a world in which testing rates have plummeted, the WHO had added. He noted that the virus is spreading rapidly in Africa, where the vaccination rate is the lowest worldwide. And he said, while there appears to be ample uh, supply of the vaccine, there is insufficient political commitments to roll out vaccines. In some countries, while there remain gaps in operational or financial capacity in other nations. In all, we see vaccination hesitancy. This is is what he's saying here, okay? In all, we see vaccination hesitancy driven by misinformation and disinformation. Well, he's, he's throwing them all in here. Quote, the pandemic will not magically disappear. But we can end it. We have the knowledge. We have the tools. Science has given us the upper hand, he said, calling on countries to work together to reach 70% vaccination coverage. So again, the old mantra here. And, and, and this time, this old mantra is coming from none other than the head of the World Health Organization. According to them, there is no such thing as herd immunity. There is no such thing as natural immunity. There is only vaccination, which, by the way, is not a vaccine at all, since it does not stop you from getting the virus in the first place, right? He also said that the virus is staying ahead of vaccines. Quote, this virus is has surprised us at every turn, a storm that has torn through communities again and again, and we still can't predict its path or its intensity, he said. Well, I rest my case. (laughs) The WHO chief also warned that increasing uh, transmission means more deaths and more risk of a new variant emerging. Like, we're going to stop that, right? And the current decline of testing and sequencing means we are blinding ourselves to the evolution of the virus, the UN said in a statement. Wow. So, why continue with all the fear-mongering? I, I have said before that the way we have handled COVID has been largely about control and power. 
Now it is coming out that it is also about something else. Money. In the very early days of COVID-19, even before the worldwide spread had prompted its classification as a pandemic, one group of researchers put out a devastating prediction of what they said was about to happen. One, quote, one critical report published on March 16th of 2020 received international attention when it predicted 2,200,000 deaths in the United States and, and 510,000 deaths in the UK without some kind of coordinated pandemic response. This information became foundational in decisions to implement physical distancing and adherence to other public health measures because it established the upper boundary for any worst case scenarios. And this was uh, the, the reported um, the report at the time from the Lancet. The report came from the Imperial College London and prompted much attention in the U.S., including the distancing uh, that has become so fashionable but also widespread lockdowns and mask mandates. So when this came out, everybody said, oh man, we have got to do something and we're going to do all these drastic measures in order to prevent this from happening. Now, that prediction never happened. The U.S. last week marked a grim milestone that we just talked about, the 1 million Americans dead either from or with COVID-19, but that's fewer than half of what the college said would happen. In Britain, the, the total stands just above 190,000 dead, according to the John Hopkins Center for uh, Systems Science and Engineering. Now, of course, no one really knew anything about this coronavirus when it emerged. And sure, one could argue that it might have been better to take more action rather than less to avert ca catastrophe, but it can also be argued that an, over, uh, an overreaction prompted by such a dire prediction also led to disastrous results in the U.S. And, and global economy. And perhaps we all should have waited for actual data before setting a course. Either way, we know now far more than we did way back in March of 2020. And we know COVID-19 hits the elderly and those with you know, co comorbidities uh, the hardest. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, who has become a philanthropist uh, seeking to end the, the scourge of, of malaria, summed it up best when he said, quote, we didn't understand that it is a fairly low fatality rate and that it's a disease mainly in the elderly, kind of like the flu is although a bit different than that. He also, we, we also know that we're likely to live with the virus for quite some time, perhaps forever, as we do with the flu. And we know that COVID-19, just like most other viruses, is getting weaker with each mutation, and that the Omicron variant is the least deadly yet, causing many to have mild symptoms, if they have any symptoms at all. Finally, it turns out that nearly 60% of the U.S. population and about 75% of children have coronavirus antibodies, indicating that they have been infected. According to the data collected, 
from a study of, of blood samples across the, the country and released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In December of last year, around one-third of Americans had such antibodies. That's a lot of throat clearing to get to this. Why would the White House predict, as it did last week, that 100 million COVID-19 cases will hit America unless the federal government receives billions in taxpayer funding to combat the virus? Forget that when when he took office, Joe Biden pl- pledged to, to shut down the virus and that more than 600,000 of the million plus dead died on his watch. What would prompt such a breathtaking prediction, do you think? Well, the answer is really simple. Money. The White House is sharing these, these estimates as Officials renew their push to get Congress to approve additional funding to combat the virus. And as the nation approaches a coronavirus death toll of 1 million, and this is this is from CNN's Caitlin Collins. The, the Daily Mail also reported that, that Biden is seeking approval from Congress for more funding, upwards of $22.5 billion to allow the federal government to continue to purchase tests and therapeutics, and continue other virus uh, sur- surveillance, and 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 prevention measures in, into the future. Well, while the prediction was roundly blasted by Republicans and conservatives, even one former Biden official ripped the White House. He said this, quote, I've seen no data which supports the possibility of a fall or winter surge in the U.S., resulting in 100 million cases. No one should make that kind of statement without providing the assumptions behind that number. This is from Michael uh, Osterholm, who is a former member of Biden's COVID-19 advisory board. He said, quote, any modeling that looks beyond 30 days out is largely based on pixie dust. (laughs) I worry that the White House has gotten way ahead of their skis on this one, he said. But it's never really about truth and accuracy, has it? Biden wants billions more to to spread around, even though Dr. Anthony Fauci, the the top U.S. immunologist, said last month that America is, is, is out of the pandemic phase. A bold statement, and he almost immediately walked back, presumably because someone in the White House said he should. But no, it's it's always been about fear for the White House and ratings for the media. So frightening Americans with dire but unsustainable predictions is all about the money. As they said in, in those goofy PS, PSAs, the more you know, uh, <laughs> and and speaking of Dr. Fauci and money, wow, and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and other bigwigs at the National Institute of Health reaped more than $350 million in secretive royalty payments from drug companies and other third parties over a 10-year period, according to an explosive new report from a watchdog organization. The report from OpenTheBooks.com 
said that the royalty payments, including at least 23 to Fauci and 14 to his former boss Collins, were paid out between 2010 and 2020. Government scientists got the payments for being credited as co-investors of various treatments and pharmaceutical, uh, and ph- pharmaceutical products, according to the report. Quote, because those payments enrich the agency and its scientists, each and every royalty payment could be a potential conflict of interest and needs disclosure, unquote. This is the openbooks.com founder and CEO, uh, Adam Adriski. Now, he wrote this. He said, quote, NIH is is a revolving door of tens of billions of dollars in government grant making, coupled with hundreds of millions of dollars in private, non-transparent royalty payments, unquote. The report paints an insidious picture of the NIH doling out $30 billion a year in grants to some 56,000 recipients in big pharma, research institutes, and other entities. With money flowing back to the secretive agency's scientists and senior management in the form of huge royalty payments. It is not yet known how much the payments uh, are to Fauci, who is, the, of course, the, the U.S. government's highest salaried employee at over $456,000 totaled. Now, quote, since the NIH uh, documents have, have uh, heavily re- been, been heavily redacted, we can only see how many payments each scientist received and separately the aggregate dollars per NIH agency. This is what he, uh, the, the head of, of Open the Books uh, wrote. He said that this is a gatekeeping at odds with the spirit and perhaps the letter of open record laws. In addition to his salary and whatever royalty payments that, that he has received, Fauci last year won a $1 million prize from Dan David Foundation for speaking truth to power, as they put it. Collins resigned as NIH director in December after leading the agency for 12 years, and Fauci is the longtime head of NIH's uh, infectious disease uh, division and also serves as chief medical advisor for, of course, President Joe Biden. OpenTheBooks.com made the $350 million estimate by uh, exploiting from the, the documents received as part of a federal law against the NIH. So far, the group has uncovered evidence of more than 22 thousand royalty payments totaling nearly 134 million dollars paid from 2009 to 2014 to 1700 NIH scientists the group is awaiting another 1800 pages of royalty disclosures which could cover the period from 2015 to 2020 the NIH is resisting turning over information, of course, and they're treating the royalty payments like a, a state secret, according to the, the CEO here. The agency ignored Open the Book's Freedom of Information Act request, forcing the group to go to court with Judicial Watch. And, and once in court, the NIH slow walked 
the production of documents, it was ordered to hand over and redacted key information from them. Under court order, the NIH has agreed to produce 300 pages a month, but insisted on producing documents related to Fauci last, sometime in November, according to Dom Fitton, who is the president of, of Judicial Watch. The Associated Press reported on the NIH's royalty database and found 900 scientists collected nearly $9 million in royalties 16 years ago. That report also determined some 51 NIH scientists who were paid royalties working on experiments involving investigations uh, and inventions for which they were already being paid. Among them was, you guessed it, Dr. Fauci, who received $45,000 between 19... Uh, 97 and 2004 for a patent license on an experimental AIDS treatment that was funded with a $36 million in NIH grants. But the, 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 the head of this, this uh, openthebooks.com agency said that uh, a lot more secretive um, there, there's been a lot more uh, that's being secretively hidden, according to an AP report. Quote, when a federal bureaucrat pops up on television giving us health in- instructions, who has paid them and for uh, who has paid them and for what research and technology were they paid for? When a patient agrees to a clinical trial or experimental treatment, what financial interests are involved? These are all great questions, but the fear mongering goes on because the money has to flow. Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, none other than the Democrat from California, is now on board with White House proposals for the uh, $22.5 billion in federal spending to combat COVID-19 because, as she claims, the threat has changed. Since Republicans put an offer of $10 billion for funding on the negotiation table, according to a new report. Punchbowl News' Jake Sherman tweeted Thursday morning that Pelosi says she is beginning the COVID negotiations asking for $22.5 billion in line with the initial White House request. And Senate Republicans have suggested $10 billion is their number. Since the $10 billion was discussed, the threat has increased. Pelosi reportedly said, <laughs> but, but all this fear mongering for dollars game that, that they are playing is, is, is having unintended consequences. What's really interesting here is that government schools that relied mostly on virtual instruction and mask wearing through COVID-19 lockdowns also saw the most severe decline in enrollment over the past two years. According to a recent study, the American Enterprise Institute and the College Crisis uh, Initiative at Davidson College revealed that over 1.27 million students have left public schools since COVID-19 hit uh, in the United States. In addition to the 1.1 million who left their districts during the, the 2021 school year, Net loss continues into the 2021-2022 school year. 
The study identified districts that returned to in-person more quickly as the same districts that that are witnessing an enrollment recovery. Districts with the most virtual classes churned 4.4% of their students, while districts that chose not to rely on remote classes lost only 1.1% of their students. The former category of, of school systems saw their most severe losses in their kindergarten and elementary populations. Kind of a little bit surprising. You might think maybe you, you would see more in, in the upper levels, the high school levels and things like that, but nope, uh, 8.1% and 6.2% respectively. Now, trends in enrollment declines were also linked to local voting records. Districts in counties um, carried by Joe Biden have seen 3.8% drops in, in enrollment, while districts in counties carried by Donald Trump have seen 1.9% drops. Quote, the road to recovery for schools will be long, essentially for those that were more COVID conscious, the study said. The districts in co- counties with high mask usage lost 3.8% of their students, even as districts in counties with low mask usage, usage lost 1.5%. New York saw a 6% decline in enrollment, worse than any other state. Oregon and Mississippi also saw enrollment drop of more than 5% between 2020 and 2022. Meanwhile, get this, South Dakota, Utah, North Dakota, Idaho, and Alabama were the only five states to see net increases in enrollment. American Foundation for Children National Director uh, of Research, Corey DeAngelis, uh, said that the teachers union, uh, which collaborated, of course, with the Biden administration on COVID-19 policy and pushed for the school districts to remain virtual, brought the mass exodus from the government school system upon themselves. I would totally agree with this. The teachers union overplayed their hand. Families voted with their feet to alternatives, including private, charter, and homeschool options. DeAngelis explained that indeed the study corresponds with data indicating that parents are seeking educational opportunities beyond the conventional government schools. One report found that from March 2020 to September 2020 alone, homeschooling rates across the country grew between 5.4% and 11%. By the summer of of 2021, 5 million American children were receiving their education at home. And the Department of Education, likewise, found that enrollment in public schools fell by its largest margin in at least two decades amid the COVID-19, a drop of a 3% loss in enrollment between the 2019 and 2020 and the 2020-21 school years. Now, quote, the teachers union induced school closures, hurt kids academically, mentally, and physically, is what DeAngelis added. The The teachers union monopoly prioritized itself at the expense of millions of children, and parents are never going to forget their selfish actions. In a way, because persistent enrollment declines led to a less funding of government schools, the teachers unions actively worked to destroy their own empire over the past two years. Nevertheless, 
progressive academics are launching campaigns against homeschooling. As schools across America closed their doors in the spring of 2020, Harvard Law Professor Elizabeth Bartholet uh, uh, lamented that the United States has an essentially unregulated regime in the area of homeschooling and very few requirements that parents do anything. Earlier this month, University of Pennsylvania Professor uh, Anthea Butler claimed that there exists a project about dismantling the public education system in the United States. I would say that, that no, no, there is not a project to dismantle public schools. It is dismantling itself. They showed the parents of this country what was happening in the classroom. They selfishly did what all unions do, and that was to look out for their members, in this case the teachers, at the expense of everyone else. It's time to put an end to this COVID fear-mongering game and the, and the lining of leftist pockets at the expense of the rest of the nation. This pandemic has been more about power, control, and money than it has been about the virus. And it's time for that to stop. And you may agree with me on this. You may completely disagree with me on this. And I would love to hear from you. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.